Fighting. Hatred. Fear. Had enough of the noise? so much for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Henry Ely, and each show, as you know, we begin with gratitude. Well, today, folks, I'm grateful for all the people who held the line in 2020 and 2021 when it was unpopular, inconvenient, and downright ugly, so that we could all fight, that we could fight on in 2022 as the truth of fraud emerges faster and faster each day. On March 7th, myself, Senator Kim Thatcher and Senator Dennis Linthicum filed a grand jury petition in federal court alleging rapid data fraud by the CDC, insurance fraud by the HHS, and willful misconduct by appointed officials who've been responsible for misappropriating, get this, over $3.5 trillion in U.S. taxpayer funds. Now, is this a coincidence? I don't know. By March 15th, the CDC, in a futile attempt to save themselves, lowered the overall COVID death count by 70,000 deaths. Lowered. Without an audit. They did all this, folks, without an audit of any death certificates or medical records, and instead they blamed it on all of this hyperinflation, all this fraud on a, get this, coding logic error. You can't make this stuff up, folks. They're blaming a computer, not the people that told the computer to do that thing, but they're blaming a computer. You see, the only logic error was done by humans way back on March 24th of 2020, two years before. And as you'll hear confirmed today by our special guest, Joy Fritz, certified death reporting clerk and supreme investigative researcher. All of this resulted in a mind-blowing 91% hyperinflation of the COVID death counts in 2020. Just like we've been saying for two years, folks, this is fraud, and the CDC just admitted to it over 70,000 times. Now, 70,000 is just the tip of the iceberg, all right? And we're going to make sure that that Titanic that they're sailing on hits that iceberg and sinks to the bottom of the ocean so this never happens again. To borrow a quote from one of my favorite writers, there's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. And that's exactly what the CDC is banking upon, that you and I are too stupid to figure out that this is fraud and for-profit fraud to the tune of $3.5 trillion. We're not stupid. We've been watching from day one And we've just been waiting for our opportunity to get in front of that grand jury. So, folks, we'll be right back with Joy Fritz and more Energetic Health Radio right after these messages. Energetic Health Radio is sponsored by the Energetic Health Institute, an amazing school for amazing people just like you. Are you tired of being fatigued? Are you tired of this nonsense? Are you now in this mindset that you want nothing to do with the hospital and you're ready to take full control of your health? Well, I got good news. Sickness is slavery, but health is freedom. 
So when you are ready to take control of your health and discover true freedom, check us out at the Energetic Health Institute. That's energetichealthinstitute.org. And we're going to help you tap into the power that you already possess. We're going to show you how to eat healthy, what that really means, and how to feel great doing it so you can wave bye-bye to a medical system that doesn't care about you. Learn what every doctor should know, learn from people who really care, and love what you'll learn for a lifetime. That's right. Go to energetichealthinstitute.org and bring the joy of energetic health into your life. We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio and Joy Fritz right after these messages. The spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation, that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com, where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Well, today we have a very special guest, Joy Fritz, certified death reporting clerk, researcher, and founder of a very interesting nonprofit called FRAN. Joy, how are you doing today? And tell us what FRAN stands for. I'm good, Dr. H. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm honored to be here. And I know you're someone that's put in a lot of work on this issue, and, and I appreciate being with um, Good Company. Um, Fran is the nonprofit um, I started um, back in May of 2021, and it uh, stands for Factual Reporting Advocacy Network. Mm-hmm. Something that we need a lot more of, factual reporting and accuracy, right? Great acronym. Well, you know, I brought you on here today because obviously we've been talking a lot more about this grand jury petition that was filed in the federal court on March 7th. You know, we, we do have you listed as uh, someone who can provide key testimony because to me, you know more about this than anyone I've talked to, uh, talked to um, with your background in death uh, certificate reporting. Um, can you share with the audience your experience level and, and what you needed to do to become certified in this skill set? Sure. So um, I worked in the mortuary industry for seven years. And during that time, all but a few months of it was in the um, being a death certificate clerk. So I worked both for a a very high volume mortuary in Los Angeles County, California um, for most of that time. And then I also worked in a small um, family run mortuary um, at about a third of the case rate. Mm -hmm. Um, And also still in Los Angeles County, California during that time. And um, over the course of those um, nearly seven years, I um, was the go-between. So I was the person, you know, starting the electronic death record for a patient, um, for a decedent is what we refer to them as, and um, and working with the doctor um, or the um, coroner, if the coroner gets involved, getting um, a cause of death from them, getting it approved by the vital records registrar's office, the local county one, and then ultimately by the state vital records office. Um, 
And so we work with the families. We get some vital statistics information from them. We get the medical causes from the doctor or from the coroner. Um, and then we get it all approved by the vital records registrars. They're the ones that train um, a death certificate clerk like me. Um, and they, um, I would go through, you know, kind of a yearly um, day to two day training course. And, um, and that's where I, and you learn just kind of a lot by just mm -hmm. watching, you know, you just kind of, at first I just kind of shadowed the person that did it. And there's just a lot to learn about how to do it. Um, and, um, and all the different parties involved in doing a death record. It's much more complicated than most people think. And um, it's also um, turns out a lot of very terrible, inaccurate information. Um, whereas the, I think the common belief is that these records are so sacred and they just, the truth from them comes from on high that by the time they receive their certified copies, they're just looking at something that must have just been investigated thoroughly as far as what caused their loved one's death. And um, that couldn't have been farther from the truth as far as um, what my experience was. It was a very pressurized system to just kind of put whatever would get approved with this with the vital records office. And um, you know, doctors would fall in line and put whatever was an easy approved cause on there, usually emphasized chronic long-term conditions. Um, and then, um, yeah, it was just very much kind of a, a system open to manipulation. It was open to laziness. Mm -hmm. It was um, open to just very watered down, um, uh, unuseful information being put on these records. And I worked there from, um, so my time was 2013 to 2019. So I actually ended my time doing death records right before the pandemic, but I did stay in the loop with the mortuary that I worked for after the pandemic hit. and. Um, was able to verify that some of the, um, the, the, what the national vital statistics system was, was asking for, um, mm -hmm. was trickling down to the County level, as far as influencing what a doctor was allowed to put and where he was, he or she was allowed to put it on a death certificate, um, to emphasize and roll out the red carpet for COVID coding to be put as the underlying cause of death. Well, you know, that's, that's mind blowing right there. So we have a system that, you know, we make these assumptions, right? We make these assumptions that when that certificate comes in, the there's likely an autopsy, there's been a great evaluation of the cause of death, a, a really altruistic understanding because we need to have these accurate records. And because these accurate records are not only going to determine funding in future years, but they're also going to determine how we respond you know, from a medical point of view, right? That there's incredible integrity involved. And then what you're saying is just the opposite. There's a lot of incompetence. There's a lot of laziness. There's a lot of opportunity for manipulation um, and, and so forth, which is kind of blowing my mind. So first and foremost, quick question for you. How many death certificates do you think you've filed in your career? Um, near 5,000. Um, and those are the ones I kind of immediately from start to finish, I started mm -hmm. the record. I worked with all the parties that needed to be involved on it. And then I completed it and did the, the, the burial or cremation permit to go with it and all of that. There's also a lot of, um, kind of, there's things like fetal records, which are, aren't considered like official, mm -hmm. um, like regular death certificates. There's those I did. And then there was amendments. So people kind of coming back 
and um, or reordering death certificates. So I was able to still see more than what I just kind of mm-hmm. mentioned, which is um, the, the ones that I saw from start to finish happen. But there was more than that that I did as far as just having eyes on what was going on. So you're not a rookie at this whatsoever. You're, you're highly experienced, highly skilled. And when when we're talking about death certificates, you know, there's this incredible thing when I, the conversations we've had have just been so educational and informative for me. The pre-COVID is very different than what's been going on during COVID. So pre-COVID, what's a normal interaction between you, a medical examiner, coroner, doctor, and the vital records registrar? What is, what is that like? Take us through a typical kind of smooth, let's, let's take a smooth one, smooth process, person just died, you're involved. What, what, what does that look like? Yeah, so it was um, very different in one sense from COVID because um, uh, before COVID, the chronic condition was emphasized and um, and and prioritized above any short-term causes. They would specifically ask, we you know, for your time interval, we want something they experienced for months or years. We don't want something they experienced for days or weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, just time interval-wise, they would ask for even if the doctor put some some more acute conditions on there, they would, they would, um, what's called bump the record back or, you know, um, reject the record. It shows as rejected. And then you have to go back to the doctor and say that they want more information. They put this note in the system. And so they would ask for, you know, kind of chronic conditions, what caused that acute issue to happen? Um, and who's most of the time who's they joy? I mean, I didn't forgive me for interrupting. Who's yeah. they in that scenario? Um, so that's the vital records office. And I okay. slip up sometimes and I call them the health department because that's what we called them when we were working. But mm-hmm. um, but the vital records registrars are the ones that the individual reps for the vital records office and the um, like the, the recorder's office. So they're the county recorder and then the, the state recorder's office. So those are the vital records registrars. Those are the guys that approve everything. Those are government employees mm-hmm. that um, that approve what gets put on a death certificate or not. So, and that's the other thing that people don't understand. They think the doctor is fully in charge of the process and he's right. not. Um, the, in the end, the government says what, what gets approved and what doesn't get approved on a death certificate. And a lot of times the doctors have just been whooped into shape. You know, they've, they've learned that what's an easy cause, what's um, you know out of what the patient experienced, what's gonna get approved really easily mm-hmm. and get the worksheet off their desk. They've mm-hmm. learned that. And so they don't put the more complicated things. They don't actually give a, an accurate picture of what this patient's decline in health looked like. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they just kind of put the easiest cause, which is where COVID made sense to me because that became a very easy cause to get approved. But it was the total opposite of how things were before, which is that the acute condition is not what gets put as the underlying cause right. um, of death, which is an important part of the death certificate. And um, it might be listed somewhere on the death certificate, but what actually is called to cause their death, which is what's called the underlying cause of death, um, that is almost always, um, you know, what the vital records registrars asked for was that chronic condition. What, what were they on medication for? They would ask me, go tell, mm-hmm. ask the doctor, what were they on medication for? You know, what, what um, led to their decline in health? And Mm so Alzheimer's, hypertension, diabetes, those were goals for me. Like that was just like, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, we're good on this record. We're going to get this done. We're going to get it approved. No problem. If I saw short-term causes Mm -hmm. for days or weeks, 
like an infection, um, like a respiratory infection or something? Yeah, no. And I actually had the experience of MRSA being listed on death certificates. Mm-hmm. I had three in one month. And so it just stuck in my brain. Like, why is this cause not being approved? And I ended up going on the CDC's website and it's like, MRSA is an infection that can kill people of all ages. What, why is this not getting approved before COVID? Right. 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 And the vital records registrars would kick those records back to me and say, we, this person was over 60 years old. What was their chronic condition? Did they have diabetes? Did they have hypertension? What's, what was going on? We need more information from the doctor. And so they would reject records that just had an infection on them and, um, you know, or a pathogen listed. So it wasn't sufficient for them to just have a pathogen listed before, but then they totally flipped the book and emphasized and even told doctors on these, you know, these alerts early on, they told doctors, if the person did have a chronic condition, move it down to part two and only leave the, the, the COVID-19 um, in the top portion, which okay. is, you know, wrong on so many levels, but it, it immediately, as soon as I saw those alerts, it, I, I didn't ha- have to think very much about it. It was just immediately, I was like, that's not how we did things. It was just not right. how we did things at all. Very different. So, so we're talking about COVID now. So now we switch over and we're like, okay, now that's pre-COVID. Now we're talking about COVID. COVID, they say you have to move any comorbidities, any pre-existing conditions that we wanted and we we would reject records without them previously. Now just move those to part two so that COVID can be listed as the cause of death, right? right. Which is of course inaccurate because you know people, the, the vast majority of people who've died had at least what 4.0 comorbidities. Although there is, I know you have a you have an issue with that because of the incompetence and stuff. You did an analysis of uh, of CDC Wonder for 2020. That 2020 data is now available, and it's nice because that's pretty much clean, no gene therapy, you know, compromising and stuff like that with the mRNA gene therapies and stuff like that. Again, every audience, if you're hearing me, I refuse to call these vaccines any longer. I'm done with the charade. Okay. They are gene therapy and everybody knows it. So Joy, when we look at, at 2020 data, you did an, an uh, you did some analysis in there that blew my mind. We were in a conversation last week or something. What did you find in the, in the CDC wonder um, 2020 data analysis that you can share with the audience? Sure. So there's a couple contextual facts that I should, I should share before I go into what um, I found looking at wonder. Um, first of all, because the, the cause of death listed on death certificate is not a scientific fact, mm-hmm. as stated by the CDC's manuals that train their doctors and their medical examiners, these are not scientific facts. These are medical opinions as far as what the cause of death is. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't like looking and analyzing the cause of death so much because that, first of all, changes from doctor to doctor. I would right. get the same patient having different causes of death by their different doctors. So there is a lot of variation there. But what is a fact on a death certificate, what we can look at is the age, the place mm-hmm. of death, the time of death. These are facts, right? So those are really important to look at. So that's what I always wanted to analyze. I never disagreed and on the ballpark of that 96%, um, you know, fact that we, that, that I know is cited a lot about the CDC data. I think it's sorely misunderstood because those comorbidities are like cardiac arrest, which happened for a minute. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's not a comorbidity that we would understand as like a chronic condition. Sure, so sure. I think it's hard to, the, the data is muddled on that. But, um, but I knew because of the age bracket that COVID was hitting people at that we knew, I knew we were going to be in the ballpark 
it was going to be in the ballpark of the 80 or 90 percent um over reporting going on mm-hmm. um i just didn't have had, had, say, had that, say that again for everyone let's 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 not just zoom by that one yeah. you knew just based upon the cdc's march 24th 2020 excuse me the nvss march 24 2020 COVID alert number two that said take all these comorbidities and put them now in part two you knew that that was going to and let COVID-19 be in part one as the cause. You knew just seeing that, that you were going to be in the ballpark of 80 to 90% over-reporting for COVID deaths. You, you kind of assume that. That, well, combined with the fact that we knew that COVID was hitting a population over 60. Right. So it's the age that's the scientific fact. Okay. So the scientific fact is, is that people over 60 die from infections all the time. People Mm -hmm. in hospice and long-term care facilities die in clusters all the time. And we don't know why it could be from an infection going through. It could be from, you know, a medical intervention going through. We don't know why they die in clusters, but I had that happen all the time. Hospices, long-term care facilities, we had patients dying in clusters all the time. So it's a, it's an eight. Could it be because they were already in poor health? (laughs) And, and yeah. susceptible to any infection, not just COVID, but any exactly. infection? Could that be exactly. what it is? We didn't swab people before. We didn't mm-hmm. swab them for pneumococcal infections, you know, or staph mm-hmm. infections. We didn't swab them for these things. And we just assumed that it was their chronic condition that killed them. And actually hospices and sometimes long-term care facilities, they would write the person's death certificate when they moved on to hospice care. Wow. They didn't have to die yet. They knew why it was whatever insurance had approved that that was the reason why they were on hospice Alzheimer's that they would write their worksheet, their worksheet would be done and signed. And then they would just wait to date it before they sent it to me. So this is where I got so annoyed with, with us changing the system because not because I, I don't think that infections can't kill people and have a part and a role in their death, but Mm -hmm. that we didn't care about any other infections before. So if you're going to change the rule book for, for, for one infection, then the whole infection rule book is changed. Or right. Should, right? right. Apply it across the board, swab them for the top 20 infections that kill right. our elderly right. and let's figure out what's killing everybody, you know? Right. So I don't have a problem with, this is where I don't have a problem with COVID being on a death certificate, put them on as many death certificates as is accurate. The person suffered from the disease. If they had symptoms, if they actually suffered from it, put it mm-hmm. on there put their chronic conditions, give some context, but also swab them for the 19 other infections that, you know, or whatever, the top, the top 20 that kill our elderly. And let's really compare apples to apples here as far right. as what's killing our elderly. Because so. this, this audience, you may not realize this. I'm sure most of you do. You can actually have more than one infection at a time, you know, and it's amazing how many of these infections actually have similar symptomatology. So to say that it's just COVID is so irresponsible and it, it lends itself to just gross inaccuracy. So we have this situation where, you know, you were, you were looking at this from um, and comparing this when we were in pre-production on uh, to hurricanes, right? You were saying how they look at hurricane, you know, death certificates and stuff like that. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that and, and how, how they're trying to do with an infectious disease process, COVID? and ignoring comorbidity at the same time, how they're trying to kind of turn it into a hurricane-like um, death certificate. Can you can you sh- right. explain a little bit about so that? So this is something that um, in starting my nonprofit, I've been able to um, 
you know, have a lot of discussions with people that have experienced and been able to, um, you know, kind of do their own, their own investigation as far as why COVID just people in my industry that, you know, are, are looking at what's happening and saying, this isn't how we used to do things. Why are we doing things this way now? So this hurricane example actually came from very high up the totem pole as far as what the rationale was um, and that should guide what they felt like should guide um, the reporting of death certificates with COVID. And the rationale was this, that um, the example given, the question asked was something to the effect of, you know, if someone dies at home because they're scared to go into the hospital, for their heart problems they're experiencing. And because they're scared, they're gonna get COVID. So they don't go into the hospital for care. Should we call that a COVID death? And you know, the high up the totem pole person said, yes. And the rationale was this, that if the hurricane, if a hurricane is coming and we evacuate a town and then the whole town leaves, everybody's safe, the hurricane passes through, um, just fine. And then everyone goes back to their home, but a tree fell in their yard. So they take a chainsaw and they cut down the tree, but they hurt themselves with a the chainsaw while they're doing that. And they die from that injury. That would be called a hurricane death because okay. it had to do with the hurricane coming through town. And so they would label that a hurricane death. I have problems with them doing that, but well, I um, do too. <laughs> philosophically, you know, um, but, but that was their rationale was that, um, you are, um, you know, you're, you're dealing with this kind of bad philosophy that as long as it had to do with, um, COVID at all, whether it be the person scared of it or what right. have you, you're now calling that a COVID death and that's okay from on high. That was absolutely okay. And, and it was just so flawed. It was not the way that we did infection reporting before, um, and, or reporting for those over 60. And it's really not how you've done infection report or you would do infection reporting for anything other than COVID either. It's not like they changed it for all infectious diseases and said, hey, we're, we're going to dramatically shift this for all infectious diseases. They just did it for COVID. Right. That's, that's what blew me away. Well, folks, we're going to be right back with more Joy Fritz. I hope you're I hope you're getting this. This is gold right here. I hope you're getting what she's saying here, that not only is this an incompetent system, not only is this was this an inaccurate system to begin with, but it was so opportunistically manipulated specifically for COVID that the only outcome could be hyperinflation of death count. Now, Joy, I did ask you one thing, and I want to get this before break, because you did look at CDC Wonder and you said, I was anticipating somewhere in the 80 to 90 percentile. You did do an analysis in CDC Wonder for 2020 data what did you find? What do you what do you think of and when you say how 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 dramatic, how significant is the overreporting of COVID deaths? What do you say after your analysis? So yeah, well, and the, the analysis is, you know, kind of a little bit complicated, but it will be coming out when I'm working with an investigative reporter. So we will have a piece coming out mm -hmm. um, that uh, that'll show and give the spreadsheets from Wonder Database showing each, you know, thing that we searched for and, you know, how we came to those numbers. But what we came to, um, and it was basically a cutoff of 60 or over is what it came to, but we actually have a few different brackets. You know, people want to argue with the 60 or over. We have a few different brackets to show, mm. um, you know, and justify um, the numbers on a few different levels. But what we found, um, and it just blew this reporter off his chair, was 91%. We, we over-reported 
91%. And what that means is not that 91% of people that had COVID on their death certificate didn't suffer from COVID. We don't know what that number is because you need a medical record review to see what their symptoms were to see what that number is. We need a full audit. Right. Right. And and a deep dive into these medical records and really see if there's evidence of disease, not just evidence of Mm SARS-CoV-2. And so, um, so we found that 91% would have been um, given a different underlying cause of death. They would have been given a chronic condition, something they were on medication for, um, you know, whatever they were put on hospice for. They, if we had done things the way that we used to do things, these, uh, it would have been um, only about 9% of COVID reported deaths would have been reported. Would have been reported due to COVID. Due to COVID. If we just stayed with our old system, then about 9% of the deaths that were reported to us, only 9% of them would have actually been reported on death certificates. Folks, this is very much in alignment, even though Joy goes about it with a much more scientific process in her analysis, and she's going to reveal that. This is very much in alignment with the CDC saying about 94% had on average 4.0 comorbidities, but that's inaccurate, okay? Because the way they get to that number and the assumptions that are made are not scientific. The way Joy is doing this to get to that 91% number is scientific because it's based upon facts that you can find on the death certificate and her expertise and knowledge as a certified death reporting clerk. Folks, we're going to take a short break. Be right back with more Joy Fritz talking about probably the topic, the issue of our of our time. Folks, emergencies don't last for years. From the outset, the CDC repeatedly violated federal laws to hyperinflate COVID data, as Joy Fritz just is telling us about. And doing so defrauded the American people. And as we've learned with our grand jury filing, doing so to transfer hundreds of billions of dollars of wealth via Medicare, Medicaid insurance fraud. They lied while the people we love died. They failed while we suffered and they profit while we still fight for what's right. If you're tired of this new normal of willful misconduct and fraud, let's call this what it is, fraud, If you're tired of the corruption, then fight for your freedom using love, logic, and light by signing the grand jury petition that can set us all free. Go to beyondthecon.com. We've updated the website. We have some great new stuff on there and some great new opportunities for you to participate in the solutions. Go to beyondthecon.com, beyondthecon.com to educate yourself on the alleged crimes that must be brought to justice. We have a whole page, folks, dedicated to the grand jury petition. Check it out. You will love what you read because you'll know in reading it, it's facts. It's factually accurate. Join the more than 125,000 Americans demanding transparency, integrity, and accountability in our government. This isn't a party issue. It's a freedom issue. So let's do what's right and enjoy the fight. We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio and Joy Fritz right after these messages. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both on the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared. 
for what's next. All right. Welcome back, everyone. What a previous segment, right? Wow. So we're back with Joy Fritz, certified death reporting clerk who's just dropping knowledge on us. I mean, I, I told her during the break, I learned something new from her every time I talked to her. She's so good at explaining things in a way that we can understand that 91%, right? 91% overreporting. Doesn't that blow you away? That blows my mind. Okay. Now, to be fair, we want to be objective and scientists. That's for an, an analyzing 2020 data. So 2021 data might look different, but come on, folks. Statistical significance occurs whenever you're 3% higher or lower than what you are publishing. I mean, we are now 91%. That's fraud. That's not That's not a whoopsie. That's fraud. So, um, Joy, uh, coming back in, you know, uh, there was something that you alerted me to in 2021 that was really upsetting how the government was incentivizing, financially incentivizing people to put COVID on the death certificate to get assistance with their costs for the funeral services. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about that and any other ways that you're aware of that, uh, that COVID getting on the death certificate as the cause has been financially incentivized? Sure. Um, so there is, that, uh, there is a really um, obvious financial incentive from FEMA. And I actually... Um, had kind of, I feel like I'd heard about it, but it actually got texted to my phone at a certain point from my, my local representative in Orange County. And uh, they texted it to my phone saying, um, thanks to the American Rescue Plan, financial assistance is in bold yellow, now available to those who lost a loved one to COVID-19. So they literally sent this alert to my phone um, I'm not on any kind of list to get information about, you know, that mm -hmm. certificate, <laughs> financial, anything from my representative. And so it was just their all out blast to everybody. And so what you do there is you, I got very upset because it took out a party that's normally very objective. They don't mm -hmm. have their license on the line for anything they don't have, they're not understaffed and don't have any time. They are the family. They care about the truth with their loved one's death certificate generally. Um, right. If they knew how important it was, they would care more. Um, they also care about how quickly you can get it done so they can get their kind of affairs settled. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, they're the most objective where they just want, if you were to ask them, they would want the truth on there. They wouldn't, they wouldn't kind of um, care about you know, what the vital records office wants or what the medical examiner wants or anything. They would just want the truth. What but the then, government wants. They, well, yeah. And so what they sent out was they actually just sent out this um, carrot, a dangling carrot for anybody that gets um, COVID on their death certificate. So I looked at the FEMA application um, and it, the requirement is COVID has to be on the death certificate somewhere. And then um, it's $9,000 for funeral expenses. And it even says up to $30,000 per an application. So I wonder what that is as far as like, you know, if there's medical expenses or anything that the family's dealing with um, right. that they get additional that doesn't have to do with funeral funding specifically. Right. So um, so that's a, that's a big carrot to dangle for a lot of people, but especially considering what I know about the mortuary industry, which is that people don't prepare. It's very rare that people will actually prepare for their, even if you know, grandma's going to die, you mm -hmm. don't actually go, you know, 
three or four years before she dies and go and pay for everything and get everything settled. Very few people do that for themselves. We all know we're going to die. We all know that that's going to cost money to somebody, but we don't actually go and get the insurance that's available. There's what's called pre-need insurance that you can get, and it doesn't go to the mortuary. It's just an insurance policy that's available immediately, unlike life insurance, which you have to wait for the death certificate for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it's available immediately. So people don't prepare. So you're getting people that are very vulnerable to the fact that they're not financially prepared. And you're dangling this $9,000 carrot in front of them. Mm-hmm. So that was um, very upsetting to me that I saw that um, at that, you know, um, literally texted to my phone. Um, there was by, also- by a state rep- by a state representative. Yeah, by my by my by my local representative. Um, by, by an, so the elected officials are saying here, here's some more free money for you, family member that's in it's grieving and 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 suffering. Here's some more free money. Here's all we need you to do is put COVID nineteen. Make sure COVID nineteen gets put on that death certificate. We'll give you this money, and we'll look like we're helping when really what you're doing is helping us in hyperinflate this death count so that we can keep talking about this from a public health standpoint. We can keep saying this is an emergency. We can keep keep getting more taxpayer money. You know what blew me away, Joy? I don't know if you're aware of this. We, we just published on this. We actually made it a focal point of the grand jury petition. The average amount that we spend of U.S. taxpayer money, or I should say that the government spends of U.S. taxpayer money on something like the flu, right, with similar outcomes, is $11.2 billion annually. It ranges from nine to $25 billion. We spend on COVID, or at least in the first two years of it, we've spent on average $1.75 trillion on COVID. And that's probably a low um, analysis. So we've been very ineffective. I mean, if you look at what's happened, even if you buy into how, you know, everything and follow the mainstream on everything, that it's, it's been ill spent. It hasn't been uh, allocated to those. And I actually talked to my, um, uh, my aunt, who's a nurse uh, in a nursing home, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I said, why don't we just bring, you know, at the time we thought these, um, you know, ventilators were going to really help. I was like, why don't we just, I mean, can we just take ventilators to the nursing homes to help mm-hmm. them? And mm-hmm. she says, oh, no, we're not. We're You need special respiratory techs and things like that to work these ventilators. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's really sad that we can't allocate all this money going and all the shutdown and just right. focus on getting care to those that needed it most. Right. And what also didn't make sense about the information she told me is that people were dying on hospice and long-term care when from COVID. But if you have COVID at the beginning, we all thought you needed a ventilator. So why weren't they going and getting their ventilator if they were right. having symptoms that showed right. that they needed ventilator support? Then it, to me, that showed that a lot of hospice and long-term nursing care facilities, either that person was not dying from COVID because it was too scary to move them to the hospital, right? Because mm-hmm. they were too unstable um, mm-hmm. or they didn't have symptoms of COVID. If you're not trying to get them a ventilator or some extra care at the hospital. Well, right? well so who's the, who's the easiest person to say that they died of COVID? So a person in hospice, you know, they're dying anyway, right? So what, what what's adding one, what, what's, what's the big deal about bumping the actual reason why they're in hospice down to part two of the death certificate and leaving COVID at the top? You know, that's that's why they allowed for, you know, a presumptive diagnosis. You didn't even need a positive test. And the PCR is is fatally flawed as a test test and never supposed to be used for diagnostic. Doesn't matter. The whole key was to get COVID on that death certificate in part one. 
because then you get the counts up. We saw Pennsylvania have, I think it was over five or 6,000 deaths that were from hospice in 2020 on their death count. And it's like, well, that's not a, that's not a COVID death. That doesn't make any sense. And that I think alludes back to what you were saying about age. So listen, I, I think we got it. Every, I think everybody's got it. This was manipulated, right? Let's fix it. Right. So Joy, you're this expert. You know, I trust your judgment because you're not coming at it from a place of your own financial gain. This is this is just about science and and we should we do need this data and we do need this data to be accurate so that we can not only understand about financial allocation for prevention of these diseases moving forward, but also just so that we can understand what are people actually suffering from in our country, right? And and then we can allocate money, taxpayer money to help those people. It's supposed to taxpayer dollars is supposed to, are supposed to be used to help people, not not just to line the pockets of people. What would you do to fix this? And I know there's a couple levels that you have on this, but what would you do to fix this? Yeah, well, I've 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 um definitely conceptualized a lot of the the for the vision of the nonprofit that I'm I I started, it it really is supposed to be a solutions um, to the inaccuracy in death reporting on a lot of different levels, because whenever you try to hit a social, uh, an issue of social impact, you find it's not one issue. It's a web. You just mm-hmm. hit a whole web and the whole web kind of comes down on you. So I'm very aware of the web. The web has to do with the family, getting the family educated and empowered to be part of the death reporting process and be empowered, not on a financial gain, right? Mm-hmm. Take away financial gain because now they're, they're, they're biased. They're not unbiased. You know, we want unbiased, you know, people involved in a death investigation. So we want them, um, you know, educated on the system, empowered to get involved and to advocate for the truth. We right. want doctors trained. Doctors don't get training on death certificate, the importance of death certificates, how to do them properly beyond kind of not doing some technical errors and not calling everybody a cardiac arrest death, like really Mm -hmm. basic elementary stuff. They don't get, I think like a couple hours, maybe in some medical schools of like a seminar that they take, but it's really not an in-depth training. They they get as much joy. They get as much training on filling out a death certificate correctly as they get on vaccine education and how to identify an adverse event. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very, very, I mean, if uh, they did, um, CDC and NBSS did make this like, you know, 15 minute, 20 minute training video uh, mm-hmm. that kind of makes fun of the fact that doctors just say, oh, what should I put on this desk? It's two image, you know, two doctors, like, what should I put on this? And it's like cardiopulmonary arrest that always passes. And it's like, that is just the worst. <laughs> and it's Terrible. on their training video showing that their doctors don't know. They don't know how to do these death certificates. We've got to fix the system. But they, this, that was a 2017 video um, training mo- module. And the system well, you're not joking not about that. That's a, that's actually a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. You can go on their, their website. That. It's going to be on the factual reporting advocacies um, networks website. So you'll be able to see it there. Um, and you could even take a little like five, five answer quiz to see if you know how to do death certificates right and everything. So um, they acknowledge it's a problem. They've given a band-aid of a 20 minute training module for a solution. But that's all it takes <laughs> and, to learn how to do everything that you do, right? Well, they, I think the doctors also, there are some doctors that are really, really good at doing death certificates. I used to compliment the few doctors and they tended to be doctors that like trained at a hospital or something like that. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. themselves were very good at it. 
because you, when you have to teach, but doesn't mean that they taught effectively. Right. <laughs> um, so I used to compliment the few that were really good about putting a good logical chrono chronological sequence of death and including really relevant details. And you kind of get a, like you get a picture of like what happened in the person's body. You know, when a doctor writes like a really good death certificate, you get this like visual, like, oh, then that happened in the kidneys and then that happened in the, you know, you right, just kind of right. see how things happen. But that was so, so rare. And so I would, I would actually compliment the doctors, like, thank you so much. That was a beautiful death certificate. <laughs> Right. Um, but for the most part, they don't know what they're doing and, um, and they really do need an education and an appreciation for, um, how a death certificate impacts the family and impacts society and impacts scientific and medical research. So mm -hmm. the family looks at the death certificate and says, oh, this is why my grandpa died. I'm at risk for this thing. So I right. should go get tested and screened and all this stuff right. where, as we don't appreciate that in the mortuary or the, you know, the post-mortem uh, industry, we don't appreciate the people are literally putting this in, on their medical history as what caused death in their family. So you need to give them the information that is really relevant, that you would want their, their, um, you know, their um, surviving family to get screened for mm -hmm. and not just what's an easy pass, you know? Right, right. right. So um, affects the family. It affects our scientific and medical research dollars go towards, you know, what, what is killing people? How can we help this? You know, so doctors need to appreciate all the different, and then we saw society, right? How it impacts society. So doctors need to appreciate this medical examiners need and coroners, they need more people. They need to be, they, their education is a little bit better because that's literally their job is death investigation. So they're, they're especially a, a forensic pathologist, obviously is going to be a lot better because of autopsy. That doesn't necessarily mean that because they don't see patients on a clinical level, they don't have as much experience to kind of like understand that someone's, what the family saw and their timeline mm -hmm. is also an important factor and not just what you find on autopsy. Cause you can find a lot of things on autopsy, but understanding the person's decline in health and the right. story behind the person is important. Right. So medical examiners need to, you know, culture that kind of appreciation for the, the clinical timeline a little bit better and the experience of the family and the family needs to share with them what they saw and, you know, um, witnessed. And so there's on the mortuary, the mortuary needs to understand this isn't just about getting this burial permit or cremation permit. This is mm -hmm. about an important vital record that is going to influence where our, our medical funding go, what you do at a clinical, at a clinical point of care, what your doctor's going to tell you to do based on the risks that are, mm -hmm. that are set on these mortality statistics. So, you know, whatever we're doing is going to affect us, our own medical care in the future. And, um, and it's going to affect the family. It's going to affect society. And we have to, um, we have to kind of realize that yes, we are, and the mortuary is under incredible pressure by the family, by, you know, all the vital records office, all these different rules and health and safety codes to get things done in a certain period of time. Um, mm -hmm. And so we got to, we got to help them both educate them on how important what they're doing is and empower them to either get laws changed or whatever we need to do so that they have the time to facilitate a really good death investigation process between the family, the doctor, the coroner, all the different parties involved. So to me, that's the solution is really an, um, it's a grassroots education. The, mm. the, the kind of what I call academic elites have known about the problem for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And um, they haven't been able to find a solution. They're a little kind of little 
piddly training modules or, you know, like swatting at the problem occasionally every 10 years hasn't done much. And so right. we really need everybody educated um, and empowered to do the right thing when the time comes for a record to be created and for causality to be determined. You know, what you said there was was really impactful. So number one, and, and help me if, uh, correct me if I'm not recapping correctly, because I, I want to make sure I understand this. The first thing is take pressure off. There's so much pressure to get that death certificate done, to get the body released and, and all the things from all the different parties. What if we just gave a temporary death certificate record and gave like 30 days or, you know, to, to actually do a thorough investigation on causality so we can understand, you know, what's going on. I, I understand that there isn't any... Um, any standardized methodology to evaluate causality from contra from uh, complications due to medications, from from overdosing of medications, right? That's, these are assumed kind of things and, and stuff like that. That it's it's happening, but we can be we can do better than that. We can actually say, oh, this was due to this medication. This was due to this vaccine. This was due to this gene therapy, right? We can we can establish that if we give people more time to establish that and, and not be so in such a rush to close the record. Yes, get the person buried and give the family the ceremony so they can get in the grieving process, but we don't need to close the record that fast because there needs to be some evaluation. And then I love what you're saying about get the family involved. The family knows this situation better than anybody. Get the family involved Get the doctors trained properly. Oh, there's a novel concept, a doctor actually getting the education they're paying for in medical school, right? Of what they're going to see in actual clinical practice. And then number three, making sure that everybody is coordinating and collaborating together in the best interests of accuracy. You know, like this has, this is a, such an important thing. Like you said, I didn't even think about that, Joy. Another thing I learned today, we're all writing down what our family members died of, Right. If that's inaccurate from the beginning, now I might be worried about something that I'm that has no relevance to my health while I'm not paying attention to something that has major relevance to my health. And and you know, if the whole if the goal of public health is to ensure great quality of life for as long as we can, it just stands to reason that that should be like that's what our tax payer dollars should be going to. I got a couple of rapid fire questions, and then I want you to tell everybody about. Uh, Fran and how to get in touch with you and stuff like that, because you're helping families amend death certificates. Yes, family members, you can make sure if you feel like COVID was put on there and it shouldn't have been, you can work with Joy Fritz and her team and you can get your death certificates of your loved ones amended so they are accurate or at least more accurate than they currently are. So um, you told me something, how many forensic pathologists are there in the country? There's people... only about 500. It's a major issue. And those are the ones that do like autopsies. So right. that's why you usually won't get an autopsy for your loved one. They usually prioritize that towards, you know, suicides, homicides, drug, you know, abuse, right. things like that. But there's only, I think it's like 8% of people get an autopsy and it's wow. just kind of those cases or the question of those cases. So if you're thinking your loved one's getting a deep dive, like into what caused their death, yeah. 92% of the time you're wrong. <laughs> wow. My God. Okay. So like so many assumptions getting blown up right now. Right. And, and for good, like we, this is something we can fix. We can fix this What You got to understand the problem before you can really get into fixing it. And then um, when you're, when you're looking at um, when you're looking at the complications from drugs, is there any kind of standardized process for saying we can, we can evaluate this person's death 
and look for causality and drug interactions and things like that? Is there anything standardized currently on that? No, we, I got a lot of pushback. The, the few times I tried to advocate for a family as a death certificate clerk, um, asking the coroner to take the case, but they don't have to take a case. They're a government employee. They get to determine when they take a case. So no, um, they, they shouted me off the phone. Actually, they're like, we don't wow. do medication deaths. <laughs> and so they were just like, no, the doctor, the person was on hospice, just, you know, so, have your doctor call our doctor and we'll just tell them what to put. So they would not take a med. They do not like medic and they don't like medication listed on a death certificate. I had to have doctors take off opiate medications multiple times what? the records office wouldn't let it be on the death certificate unless you report it to the coroner and the coroner doesn't have time so the whole system is just you know and the family's needing to bury tomorrow or whatever so seems like it's there to protect the, the pharmaceutical company right i mean you you it's it seems like it's there to protect their interests why why would the pharmaceutical company want to show that there was causality why would they want you know that that can't help them and then we have a third thing there's there's no listing on the death certificates that i've seen that show vaccination history no yeah um it's very problematic because vaccines even anaphylactic shock if you read that the kind of um information historically from the coroners talking about you know how do we do this in our in our system then Mm -hmm. it the anaphylactic shock is even questioned even when someone dies from anaphylactic shock they're like well it, you know, there's only this IgE or whatever test and, you know, that can be flawed sometimes. So you don't even know then with anaphylactic shock, right? 38 year old dies from anaphylactic shots. Like, well, maybe it wasn't the, the vaccine. So they're really in need of technology to help determine causality with very more nuanced things like these um, vaccines or what you like to call them, the gene therapies. Yes. This, this is all fraud. So, so here we go. Joy, Thank you so much for everything you're doing and for sharing your wisdom and experience with us here today. How can people contact you to help amend their death certificates and and start this process of correcting this count? How can people do this? And thank you so much for mentioning that because it's really huge. Even if we can't, um, even if the system isn't perfect right now, there is a way to get accuracy on a death certificate or at least fight for it. Um, and be of good conscience, you know, that you did your best. And that is by doing an amendment. And so even if your loved one's cremated or buried or anything, even if the death certificate was done five years ago, 10 years ago, you should still be able to get an amendment on the death certificate. Um, So, and that changes the, you you can talk to the doctor again, or the coroner's office and say, you know, I don't think that that was accurate, which you either add a couple of things that they medical records show that they, they, they suffered from, or could you take off what wasn't accurate and put mm-hmm. on what is mm-hmm. so they can absolutely do that. You can go to, um, right now we're working on the back end. So you, right now, if you go to our website, you just kind of see, um, a place to leave a message and you can send me a message there. You can donate so that we can help kind of get the website up and running a little bit faster, but there'll be great educational, resources on the website for you as far as each state has a different and sometimes each county has some different rules as far as amendments go so we want to have that resource easy resource for you to um, be able to see how to get an amendment started and that what the, our website's going to have that um, right now it's not available to the public eye but it's it's in the process there so if you want to go on the website leave us a message um, I'll see your messages and um, donate so we can get this kind of um, going. What's a little that faster. website? What's that website, Joy? Uh, the website is www.medicalaccuracy.com or sorry, medicalaccuracy. 
www.fransmatters.com, excuse me, or if you want to keep it easy, it's www.fran.group. Okay. We'll have, we'll have links to that in the podcast. So if, if you, so you don't have to kind of remember that, just go to our podcast, which shows up on Mondays and we'll have the show notes in there. So we'll have links directly to the website. Joy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I can't wait for us to get subpoenaed and go before a grand jury and, and tell them all this information because they need to know, they need to know this. So uh, thank you so much. Folks, uh, I'm going to give you my final thoughts here. My mind is blown, okay, right now. You know, first and foremost, the analysis of the 2020 data, confirmation, 91% hyperinflation of COVID death counts. And and we explain why. You know, you can see how they did it, and you understand why they did it. There was a lot of money exchange, you know, $1.75 trillion annually for COVID, whereas the flu gets $11.2 billion. Come on, folks. This This has always been about the money. But I think what we learned here was, number one, that families have a lot more power than they're told, that families can get involved and get their death certificates amended to be an accurate record. I think that's huge, and Joy can help you with that. I think the other thing that kind of blows me away is just the amount of opportunity for malfeasance within the death certificates, you know, that you don't have to be accurate. You just, whatever, and, and but that we have this assumption that whatever someone says that's gold, that whatever someone says, that's the gospel truth on a death certificate. And when you actually peel and look behind the curtain, what do you find out? That's not true. That's not true, especially in the case of COVID, where it was financially incentivized to put COVID on the death certificate, right? That's that's how you compromise science. So when they say we're following the science or we, we trust in the science, you know, all these platitudes they throw out there, the science is flawed because you know you've made it flawed. It doesn't have integrity. So when, when I look at someone like Joy, I just am so grateful to her for all she's doing to help families get that final piece that we need when someone that we love has passed away, that the death certificate is accurate, that what they said they died of was accurate, you know, because that matters to families. I mean, I know that mattered to me with my brother when he passed away and he was a John Doe and had to go through the coroner and go through an autopsy and all this other stuff. It mattered that what they put on the death certificate was accurate to us as a family as well. It's meaningful. We have to care about each other at that level. So folks, remember our pathway to victory has four divine challenges for us all. To take no offense, to speak truth, to be selfless, and to remain humble. May our creator shine his divine light. May God, let's call God what God is. May God shine his divine light down upon us, everyone we love, and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. Next week, we'll have very special guests Senator Dennis Linthicum and Senator Kim Thatcher to talk all about the grand jury petition and their experiences and why they're involved in it. Folks, we're gonna, we, we are gonna win. And no doubt in my mind, we're gonna win because we have the will to fight for what's right. So until next week, I'm Dr. Henry Ely for Energetic Health Radio and the Energetic Health Institute. And I say to you, aloha and adios.